You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And Justin is right, we are concluding our series that we have called A Christian Home. And today we're going to be talking to the dads, to the fathers. Now church, as you're making your way to Colossians 3, there's going to be two ways to listen to this message this morning. The first way is the way I hope that you listen to each message, and that is to know that I'm going to try to take the passage of Scripture and apply it to us just as it's written, and it's going to be applied today to dads. But there's a second way today that I hope that you'll grasp and see, and that is that what we're going to see today is really a picture of our Heavenly Father as well, the one in whom we cannot see. I hope we'll grasp both. For you see, Dad, in the room, and maybe for the fathers who are watching online, we need to be a representation of our Heavenly Father. That's a tangible, physical representation, albeit an imperfect representation of Him on this earth. In other words, when our kids, and in my case now, unbelievable, I've got grandkids, they ought to be able to look at me and see a reflection of the Heavenly Father. So this brings us to Colossians 3, verse 21. Again, just one verse. You made your way there. Colossians 3, 21. Ready? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, as we begin, I want to say this. This message today has relevance for everyone in this room and for all who are watching, whether or not you are a father, whether or not you had a Christian father as you grew up, you see, I understand and I want to make clear from the beginning that perhaps you're one in the room who has a father who was missing in action. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was not a good influence on you. Obviously then there comes turmoil or even sadness in your heart. Many listening today may hear this message and feel sadness, maybe as a dad, things that you could have done, should have done, would have done. Maybe your kids are grown and you're going to hear things in this message and you're going to go, oh man, I get that. Chief of sinners here. Aren't we constantly learning? Right? I mean, if we could all go back and, and do it over again and knowing then what we know now, we'd all be better. But here's the thing. It's still today. And if your kids are still alive, well, they're still alive. We can be good dads from this point forward. Whatever the case might be, even if there is sadness, might it be swallowed up today in joy, in the joy of knowing that we have a heavenly Father who loves us. We were just singing about the goodness of God and we can look to Him as our example. Now you might be wondering, you might say, well now Pastor Kevin, if I remember correctly, in this series on a Christian home, isn't this like the second time you're talking to the men? Uh-huh. And you go, is that on purpose? Apparently, because I don't write the mail, right? I just deliver it. And, and you're right. I mean, we saw in verse 18 a message to the wives. And then we saw in verse 19 this 
message to the, the husbands and then in 20 to the children. We saw that last week, but here we are returning to the men again. Daddies, why? Why not a word to the mothers? Now, believe me, I've read all kinds of commentaries about what commentators think are the reasons that there could be two messages to the dads. I could give you a bunch of them. I'm going to tell you what I think. And, you, and this, is, this is just Kevin. You know what I think? This is what I think. I think men have a harder time being daddies than mamas being mamas. I really think that ladies just naturally do a really good job at being mamas. And for whatever reason, us men struggle with being dads. Now, I don't want to say that as a blanket statement, but I just, it's what I believe. And I believe we get another message here today to the men when it comes to being a dad. You see, dad, when you look in Scripture, it's not a great track record for us as daddies. I mean, you take the Old Testament, for example, and, and you read about all the kings, for example. First Kings, Second Kings, right? First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Read First Samuel, Second Samuel. And what you'll have is, let's say you'll have a dad, and he does it really, really good, and he walked with the Lord. But then you'll have a son, and it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. I want you to try to see if you can find this. Outside of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, see if you can find a threesome in Scripture where you've got a grandpa, a daddy, and a grandson who walked in succession with the Lord. I can't find it. What we see is that men have a really rough time figuring out how to be a dad. We know how to work. We know how to bring home a paycheck. We know how to be a man. But what about being a dad? So often we find in Scripture that there's a lot of bad dads. Dad, yet we're told it's our responsibility to carry the weight of the home. That's our job, to lead. And so we set up under that and we carry that or at least we're supposed to but so often since we won't she does and she carries it it's not the way it's meant to be we need to say as joshua said as for me and my house we will serve the lord and so this brings us back to our verse. Now, now watch it again. Look at it on the screens. Or look at it in your Bibles. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, daddies, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. What does it mean to provoke them? Well, it's a negative command. Don't do this. In other words, we are not to misuse our authority. Yes, children are to obey us. We just read that last week, saw that last week. Verse 20, children, obey your parents and everything. Now listen, if you've got an ungodly father and he asks you to do something that's ungodly, that's sinful, child, you don't have to do that. You don't, th this is obeying in the Lord. Children, obey in the Lord. If your dad ever asks you to do something that's illegal or immoral or sinful, you don't have to do that. Here in verse 21, fathers are cautioned about misusing our God-given authority. We do not want to discourage our children. See, Dad, 
We are to discipline our kids and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, but we are not to discourage them by how we do that. Listen, we are to break their will, but not their spirit. All kids have a stubborn will. Some are worse than others. We're to break their will, but not their spirit. In other words, we don't attack their person. We don't bludgeon them or degrade them as a person. We are to discipline and to encourage. So what does it mean to provoke our children to discouragement? Well, Dad, it's, it's quite simply the old adage of, don't do as I do, you do as I say. You got that? That's hypocrisy. What do you mean don't do as you do, do as you say? That's hypocrisy. And kids won't follow that. In fact, it makes them angry when they hear their dad say something like that and have a different set of expectations for them. And that's Ephesians 6, 4. Because Ephesians 6, 4 is very similar to Colossians 3, verse 21. See the screens, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not, there it is, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, there are two reactions. Colossians 3, discouragement. Ephesians 6, anger. The Greek word used for provoke means to dispirit. It means to disinterest. It means to cause a child to lose heart. They just give up. We don't want to be that way. Now, do we? Don't we want to encourage our kids Listen, by and large, don't you operate better in life when somebody's encouraging you versus just hammering you all the time, constantly on your back? You can't ever do anything right. Wouldn't you rather be encouraged? Yes, disciplined if you're not doing something right, but encouraged to be provided hope, optimism, confidence, to be courageous. Surely we want that for our kids, don't we? So the question becomes, what are we to do to teach them, to encourage them? Where should they set their hope? Well, this goes back to what I told you we'd be back to, and this is the last time, third time we're going to have seen this passage. But I want you to see it on the screens. It's Psalm 78. Dads, here's our job. You ready? Psalm 78, verse 5, he, that's, this is God in the case of he, established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he, that's God, commanded who? Our fathers to teach their children. Teach them what? The commands of God. That the next generation might know them, that the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. That's your grandkids, Dad. So that they should set their hope in God, not their education, not their athletic prowess, not their good looks. They should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. Verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to God. What we see in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6 mimic the teaching of Psalm 78. It's fathers who are to give hope instead of discouragement to point to God. 
I look across the room, and, and this just now came to my mind, so this is just for whatever reason, this service. I see a lot of teenage young men. You set your mind right now on what kind of dad you're going to be. You set your mind right now, young man, on what kind of dad you're going to be. Go ahead and begin to think about that. You go, man, I ain't but 15 years old. You're going to blink and you're going to be 35. What kind of daddy do you want to be? Take the things that you're learning that's been good and accentuate those. And the things that haven't been good, learn from those too. And set your mind even now on what kind of dad you're going to be. Are we going to teach men, our children, to put their hope in God? We don't mean to, men, but oftentimes we teach our children that it's all about being successful. It's all about the academics and the good job and making good money. It's all about professional success. The Apostle Paul, he had a, you know, he was never married, but he, he called a young man his son, his spiritual son. His name was Timothy. Timothy grew up in Scripture, we find, with a, a dad who was either missing in action or dead, or, 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 or nonetheless, we know that he was a pagan man. And so Paul saw himself in the role with Timothy of being his spiritual father. And, and I want you to see how Paul describes this. And this is good for us, men. Watch this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. 2 Timothy 3, 10. See the screens. Paul says, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching. You follow my conduct, Timothy. You follow my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You say, why didn't Paul just point to God? Because Paul knew that Timothy needed an earthly example to see that lived out. So dad, what do your kids, what do my kids see as our aim in life? What is my conduct? What, dad, what's your conduct like? What, 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 where do you place your faith, your trust, your love, your steadfastness? What are you dedicated to? So oftentimes our kids see us dedicated to our jobs. Nothing wrong being dedicated to your job. But when that job takes precedent over your kid, and he or she sees that over and over again, they will feel as almost a distraction in your life to what you hold up as important. What do they see us happiest about? Is it the fishing trip? Is it the ball game? Is it the pursuit of money or a hobby or is it the things of God? How, how do our kids see us at home? That's the question. Oh, it's one thing when we're out here, you know, out in public. What do they see behind the doors of the house? What do they see in the den? What do they see in the kitchen? How do we interact? David said this in Psalm 101 verse 2. He said, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Whew, that hits me between the eyes. Anybody else? 
Dad, I ask us today, including myself, do our children see us walking with integrity in our homes? Or are we more apt to treat a coworker with more respect and integrity than our wife or our kids? Do we have a hunger for the things of God? Dad, if we don't have a consistent daily walk with Christ, most likely our children won't either. Kids can sniff out hypocrisy a mile away. They will not follow hypocrisy. You're saying one thing and doing another. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Hey, Dad, every home is a classroom. What is yours teaching? What goes on in your house that your kid knows it's important to you? How about them? Are they important to you? Will they set their hope in God? Dad, you know what the most important thing a father can do for his kid? You know what it is? You say, yeah, provide them a good start and, and so they can get a good education so that they can, you know, uh, make good money and, and, and live a comfortable life. And, and no. Because if, if you go with me to Ethiopia, and I've told you this a hundred times, um, they don't know anything about all that. People who are Christians in Ethiopia, they just hope to gather enough maize, enough corn to live the next day. And they will do that till they die. There is no retirement. There is no buying a better car, getting a better house. They live in a grass hut with a dirt floor in about 250 square feet. And that's where they will live and that's where they will die and do 90% of their living. So is that what we hold up is the be-all, end-all? No. The most important thing that you and I can do for our kid is to make sure they get to heaven. Because you can give them everything else. They can have the nicest clothes. They can have a nice car when they turn 16. You can send them to a good college. And they can still bust hell wide open. And so what have we accomplished? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world, Jesus said, and loses his own soul? And we put so much stock in this stuff. Dad, do we ever teach and train in our homes? Do we ever pull out the Word of God and lead? She does that. Of course she does, because you won't. Suck it up, buttercup. It's time. Come on, I know you'd fight hell with a water pistol, but how about lead in your home? Our children, <laughs> I watch this happen so often, where kids, they turn, they get to be teenagers, and then they start to slowly ebb away. They have no desire for the things of God. And yet, I'll be talking to a dad, and he'll go, well, you know, he just kind of, he's just sowing his wild oats, I guess. He'll come back. Come back. Could it be that he or she was never saved to begin with? See, that, that's what really concerns me that, uh, about uh, children and making a profession of faith. We have to watch their lives. We don't, we don't ever dissuade a child. We, we go kind of where they're at with things. Uh, kids get afraid and they don't want to go to hell, so they pray a prayer. And so they invite Jesus into their heart. But, but, but was there ever a change? That's the question. Were they really born again, made new? You, you have to look at their life and you're looking for fruit. Or, or when you squeeze on them, what comes out? It should be the fruit of the Spirit. And if not, could it be 
that they just prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and got wet. Dad, can you have that conversation with your 15-year-old kid? A lot of dads are scared to death to talk to their kids about anything spiritual. Scared to death. I mean, you'll talk to the client about the $2 million deal, but you won't talk to your kid about their soul. Come on, Dad. What's really important? Have the conversation. Make certain your kid's going to heaven as best that you can know. Of course, only God only knows. You don't, you don't even know for sure that I'm saved. I mean, you don't know that for sure. You can look at my life and say, well, he gives evidence, and that's good. That's, that's what 1 John teaches. 1 John is a description of how we can know that we're saved, that we walk in the light and not in the darkness, that we have love for our brother and so forth and so on. But the point is, is that we've got to investigate these things. So many dads won't do it spiritually. I love 3 John 4. I quote it all the time. See it on the screens, 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are successful. Bank vice president. Just got a Lexus the other day. No, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That is the most important thing, Dad. Psalm 4, David described what he chose to pursue. David, a man after God's own heart. See the screen? Psalm 4, 7. You, this is he speaking of God. You, God, have put more joy in my heart than all these others when I've got all this grain and wine. Verse 8. In peace, David said, I will both lie down and sleep. It's good to lie down, right? But it's really nice when we can sleep. Older you get, the harder it is to sleep. Can I get an amen? amen? He says, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, that's the point. True joy comes in following the Lord and laying our head on our pillows at night and being able to sleep. Dads, our sons and daughters need engaged fathers. So what do you mean? I mean that we are intentionally interested in their lives. Dads, I'm going to say something that you might cringe at, but you know what our kids need? If they're still in your house, and even if they're not in your house, but particularly if they're in your house, they need you to hug them. Well, my dad never hugged me. He never told me he loved me. So what? So you're going to be so stubborn that because you had a dad that didn't hug you and tell you that he loved you, that you're now going to lop that on to the next generation? What's wrong with you? I don't care if your dad didn't tell you he loved you. Maybe, unfortunately, your dad died at a young age. You didn't have a male influence. But that doesn't change the fact for what you know. To him that knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. Hug that kid. I don't want to be morbid. But, Dad, I want to ask you this. If you were to die, if, if, let's say all the dads in the room, we're going to die at 10 o'clock tonight. 10 o'clock tonight. What would you do this afternoon? Would you tell your kid you loved them? Let, let's say they live in another state. There's a thing called a phone. Text them. There are men who work out of town. You're gone all week. Last I heard, there's a thing called FaceTime. I ain't got time for that. I'm dead tired when I get back to the hotel room. Suck it up, buttercup! Come on! You give everything to the job and everything to the customer. What about that kid that looks like you? 
What about that kid that's 35 years old? That's dad. He says he loves me. After the first service was complete, I walk around to that right side like I always do to go back and greet any that want to come back there. And my six foot seven inch tall dad standing back there. I said, hey pop, I love you. And he grabbed me. And he pulled me to himself. And he kissed me on the neck. You want to see the S on my chest? Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. My dad loves me. Maybe you don't have a dad that's like that. I told you this is the part of the message is hard. Maybe, but, the, but it doesn't change the fact that, Dad, sir, you're here, and you can be that for your child. Maybe it didn't happen for you, but you can be that for your child. Don't let your past and what happened to you or didn't happen to you affect what's going to happen now for your kid. Today's a new day. Today is now. Hug your kid. Love your kid. Let them know you care. I know for so many dads, we were taught to be the strong, silent type. We're told to bring home a paycheck and protect the kids and the wife from intruders, but then keep your distance. Because to show that kind of, I mean, to hug your kid, that makes you look weak. No, it doesn't. It makes you look strong, dad. Strong. A man who will hug his son who's 14 or 15 years old and he may not like it, but I'm not talking about just hanging all over him, you know, slobbering on him, but I'm just saying, you get a hold of your son, you say, son, I'm proud of you, and you, you hug him, you kiss him on top of the head, I'm telling you, he may buck at it, but down deep he's like, that's my daddy, and my daddy loves me. You never outgrow that. You, I'm a 51-year-old man. You never outgrow that. And while you have the chance... Love on those kids. I think about 50 years ago, fathers weren't even allowed in the delivery room. Remember that? <laughs> Thankfully today that's changed. Many dads today are taking an active role. That's good. In changing diapers and giving kids baths and helping their kids. And the studies, these are secular studies, but they tell us that this type of engagement given by the dads to their kids, help them to bond with them, and that carries multi-generationally. Hey, don't you want the great-great-grandchildren to mention your name and to talk about you? Pull out a picture of you and say, this was your great-great-grandfather, and he was a good man, and he loved the Lord. Can you picture that in your mind? Multi-generational. Dad, I want to say a word uh, to those of us who have daughters. We'll get to the sons in a moment. I want to show you a quote from, again, it's a secular journal, but it's the Journal of Family Psychology. Okay, here's the psychology of what the relationship between a dad and a daughter is. Watch this. It would be difficult to overstate, says the study, the powerful influence that fathers have in the shaping of their daughter's views about their own self-image, values, sexuality, and relationships. Young girls who have a warm, close relationship with their dads are better able to handle everyday stressors and are less prone to depression and anxiety and are better able to talk about their feelings. 
They are far less likely to go hungry, to live in poverty, and are more likely to have better physical health. End of quote. Being the father of three daughters and now three granddaughters, I spend a lot of time around girls. In fact, I tell Andrew all the time, we are swimming in a sea of estrogen. <laughs> and I love it. I truly do. Dads, can I tell you what I've learned our little girls need and our even big girls? <laughs> I still text my two that are married from time to time and tell them I'm proud of them. I love them. Put those little heart symbols in the text. Heart, heart, heart. And they probably go, yeah, just dad, being dad. No, I want them to know how much I love them. And I didn't do as good a job as I should have when my older two were younger. I was gone too much. I've told you that. I didn't save enough for home. I hope I'm getting better at it. Isn't it a shame, though? We finally, our kids get grown, and we, now we've learned how to be a good dad. It's like, man, if we could all go back and do it over again, right? Wouldn't we be better parents? I'm grateful that our kids are resilient, right? I think about my granddaughters now. I love to sit them on my lap and read them a book. That's a good thing, Dad, to sit your daughter or son. Oh, my wife does that. No, you do that. That's fine she does that. You do that. Give them a hug. Hey, go in their bedroom, Dad. Dad, Dad. Moms, you can listen to this too, but you're already doing this. Dad, you go in their room, sit on the corner of their bed, and you ask them how they're doing. I know you're tired. I know it's 1030 at night and you got to get up at 5. I get that but they're not going to be in your house forever. And so you go have the conversation. Hey, son, how's it going? Hey, baby, how's it going? And then you pray over them. You pray over them. That's a powerful thing. If you've got small children, you carry a Kleenex in your pocket, Dad, because you're wiping their nose all the time. I mean, seriously. And the kids see that. And they're like, Daddy's got a Kleenex. He's wiping my nose. You know, we go to the beach, and I'm, I'm a, I am a sunscreen fanatic, okay? Every square inch of your body's going to have sunscreen on it. Because I've had so I mean, Boone Dermatology has the nicest building in Boone because of me, okay? They've cut so much stuff off of me, okay? And so my family makes fun of me. They go, Lord, here comes Dad with the sunscreen. Turn around. I'm putting it behind their ears, in their ears, up their nose. I just want them to know I care. I don't want them to get sunburned. Hey, Dad, I know you're not a perfect dad, nor am I, but you're the only dad they got. And you're the only dad they're ever going to have. So be the best dad you can be today. And you know what? No matter how old they get, they're still your little girl. They're your little boy. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. In our remaining time, this will go quickly, but I want to show you a good dad and a bad dad. A dad that got it right and a dad that got it wrong. You're turning to 1 Samuel. I want you to go to chapter 2. I want you to go down to verse 22. As you're going there, 1 Samuel 2, 22, 
I want to tell you about a man. His name is Eli. Eli was a priest. He was actually the high priest of the nation of Israel. He was the top dog at the tabernacle. He was a man who got it right at the office. He got it right at God's house and blew it at his house. Or you might would say he was too preoccupied with his job and he missed it with his kids. Eli had two sons, great names. I'm sure you want to call your sons this, Hophni and Phinehas. They're described in the Bible as evil in the sight of the Lord. You've made your way. 1 Samuel 2, look at verse 22. Watch this now. Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. This has gotten around to all the nation. And this is terrible. And how his sons lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. I don't need to describe that. Verse 23, and he said to his sons, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading about. Now think about this, all Israel, all Israel knows about this behavior. This must have been going on a long time. And for whatever reason, Eli was clearly oblivious you know, it's easy to be oblivious when it comes to our kids. We get preoccupied with everything else. Perhaps you've lived this. Maybe you've been at a restaurant out with some friends and you've got small kids and all of a sudden you look around and they're nowhere to be found until the waiter brings them out. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. He says, yeah, they've been in the kitchen running around serving stuff. It's easy to be oblivious. We've got to be aware and observant of our kids' behavior. Dad, we talked about it a moment ago, but how do your kids act? You know, it used to be that we as dads were harder on our kids than we were other kids. You know, it's gone the other way now. Parents get all ticked off when somebody corrects a kid that's doing wrong. It's your kid. They've done something wrong. And then they want to shoot the messenger. Drives me crazy. I find, I find people that have two sets of standards. They got one standard for their kid, and they let them get by with anything that they would never apply to the other kids. Their kid can either do this or do that or not do this or not do that, and it's okay. But, but nuh-uh, not for everybody else. That's hypocrisy too, Dad. If you're going to have one set, listen, you, you're coaching a ball team, okay? You, you got to be fair. You got to be fair. If your, kid can't, if your kid can't play, put him on the bench. This is just the way it is, but not anymore. And we give a free pass to our kids. You know our kids see that. Think, well, oh, my kid, he, he knows I care about him. No, he sees how you're treating everybody else. That's hypocrisy too. What would, what would it be like if every kid acted like your kid, sir? What is your kid like? I have to ask myself that. You know, the Bible tells us that, the, that our kids are going to be known by their actions. Even a kid, see the screens, Proverbs 20, verse 11. Even a child makes himself known by how he acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. You can start telling when a kid's seven, eight years old how they're going to turn out. In a lot of instances, Dad, how does your child act? Eli was oblivious to his kids' actions. And sadly, once he was finally made known. In fact, everybody else knew about it. He didn't do anything about it. 
In fact, you're, you're still in 1 Samuel 2, right? Look, look down at verse 29. Watch this. We were 22 through 24. Look down at verse 29. You know what God said? God said, you love your boys more than you love me. Watch, I'll show it to you. Why then, this is God speaking to Eli, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and you honor your sons above me? By fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. The Bible is full of dads who are like Eli. I really believe Eli loved the Lord. But for whatever reason, Eli blew it with his own sons. He couldn't restrain his own kids. By the way, there was someone else that Eli was raising. A boy. Anyone remember his name? His mother's name was Hannah. This little boy's name? Samuel. Samuel, who would become arguably one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel. See, Eli was very, very successful in his job in raising Samuel to be a prophet to the nation, but he blew it with his own sons. Eli was more focused on his work than his sons. It's easy to do. I've been there. Men, let's be blunt. Sometimes our kids are almost a distraction to what seems important in our lives. What do your kids see as important in your life? Do they feel like an afterthought? Do they see us putting more emphasis on our work, our careers, our hobbies? When they see these kind of things, you know what it does? It provokes them. And it discourages them. This is our verse. See our verse again on the screens? Colossians 3.21, when they see us doing these kind of things, it provokes them and it discourages them. You say, well, I am totally depressed now. Well, we're not done. <laughs> we got to look at the good father. Okay, the good dad. So you were in 1 Samuel. Go back to the left, heading back towards the front of your Bible. Go now to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. Go to chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. This is one of my favorite accounts in all Scripture about a dad and his son. This is the account of a judge named Ehud. Now, this type of judge is not a judge in a black robe sitting in a courtroom. A judge here in the Old Testament is a spiritual leader. So Ehud is a spiritual leader, leader of Israel. Ehud would lead Israel to a time of peace and prosperity that, get this, lasted 80 years according to verse 30. That's longer than any other judge in the Scripture. Imagine 80 years of peace and prosperity for a nation. What he did was Ehud would show tremendous bravery and courage in killing a Moabite king who had had them under this high taxation for 18 years when we come to this passage. Now the Bible describes Ehud as a young man. And amazingly, even though he's young, he was commissioned by the nation of Israel to be trusted with taking the tax money and not stealing it and delivering it to the Moabite king. They did this annually. So Ehud did that. But after he delivered and dropped off the tribute money, the tax money, well, he had had enough. And he took an 18-inch dagger that was strapped to his thigh, and he drove it into the belly of this fat king named Eglon and killed him. Problem is, he's got to escape the palace. Now, he did this deed on the second floor of the palace, which is the upper chamber, which is the bedchamber of the king. And Ehud locked the doors. And so there was no way out. 
And so we can't be dogmatic about this, but scholars actually say that the only way out of that bedchamber was through the privy, the toilet. Now don't think of pipes. Think of a hole in the floor, second floor, and the Mm. stuff would land on the floor and they would have servants who would come to the back of the palace, open up this little door, go in and wouldn't you love that job? Scoop that stuff out and clean that out. Ehud escaped and he went back to Israel and he sounded the horn in Ephraim and he called the nation to battle and he said, let's go fight! And Ehud led the nation, and they destroyed the Moabites. And they were so fierce that they had peace for 80 years. You say, wow, what a great story. What does this have to do with fathers? I'm glad you asked. Have you made your way there? We need to see his dad. Watch this. Chapter 3, Judges, verse 15. This is back when he was getting ready to go make this trip to take the money. The people of Israel, they've been under taxation for 18 years. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute, that's the tax money, by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit, that's 18 inches in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes." You say, so, so what? His daddy's name is Gera. Now the word Benjamite in verse 15, you know what it means? Son of my right hand. But Ehud wasn't right-handed, now was he? What handed was he? Left-handed. Left-handed. You know what I believe? I can't be dogmatic about this, but I believe he taught his son, I believe Gera taught his son how to be a switch hitter. He could fight either left-handed or right-handed. I believe he taught him how to be courageous. I believe he taught him how to make a sword. Gera. We hear of Ehud. Gera trained his son. How many of you are left-handed? Please raise your left hand. Go. Left-handed. Left-handed. Yep, about 8% of the people in the room. There you go. You say, what's the, what's the point? It's an analogy. Gera taught his son how to be left-handed in a right-handed world. To be part of the minority, to be part of the few, and to be courageous and do the right thing, even if it means you got to go down the toilet. <laughs> True? That's courage. I think about Ehud, maybe as a four or five year old little boy with his hand behind his back. Papa, Papa, it hurts so bad. It's okay, son. I'm teaching you how to use your left hand. And when you're in battle, you'll be able to fight with both hands. I think of that, I think of Rocky, you know? He was a southpaw, right? What, left-handed? And he trained to fight right-handed. And then old Mick, he pounded the mat and he says, now Rock, now! And Rocky went back to left-handed. And he won the title. Dad, Dad, are you listening? We have to train our kids. We have to teach them how to be left-handed in a right-handed world. When everybody else is doing this, we teach our kids to do the hard things. And that takes discipline. And that takes knowing our kids. I want you to see a verse. 
I want you to see this verse, and you're going to know this verse as soon as you see it, but you might not know it when I give you the sighting. Proverbs 22, 6. Here's the verse. See the screens? Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. See that part, train up a child in the way he should go? That literally means in the Hebrew, in his bent, in her bent. Like a paper clip. If you take a paper clip and you, and you, you try to change its bend, what's going to happen? It, you'll break it. Your kid is bent in the fact that they have certain characteristics and, and, and abilities and gifts. How are they bent? There are some kids in the room that are really good at math and some kids in the room that is not really good at math. There are some kids in the room that can play an instrument. There are some kids in the room that you wouldn't want to play an instrument. I can't carry a tune in a bag, right? We're all different. But dad, do you know how your kid is? You go, well, that's the, the schools figure that out. No, the schools can only do so much. In fact, the schools have to kind of, they, they just, it, it's almost cookie cutter. They've got to teach all these subjects. There's some electives along the way. But dad, what's your kid good at? Like for me, he would never do for me to be a mechanic because I can barely check the oil in my car. But I might say to a mechanic in the room, would you like to come up here and teach this? Would you like to come up here and share this? And they go, oh. See, we're all gifted in different ways. And so, Dad, I believe Gara understood that his son had the capability of doing something courageous. And I believe he trained that in him. Do you look at your kids that way? Can you look at your kid and see them 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Do you talk to your child that way? I try to talk to my kids that way. I try to tell them I'm proud of them. I try to train them. See our verse one last time, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke them. We want to encourage them. Dads, we've been showing this, and we're done with this little picture this Christian home picture. Now, where are they standing in front of again? What is that? That's a cross. Dad, we got to train our kids how to take up their cross and follow Jesus. And they're not going to take theirs up if they don't see us taking ours up. We will never be able to train them to do what we're not doing ourselves. And we have an enemy. You know who the enemy is? Satan. And he's going to do everything he can to distract us from doing the work we need to do. He's going to distract us from spending time with Jesus. He's going to distract us from prayer. He's going to distract us from Bible study. And, and it's going to make us a powerless dad. Satan is going to distract us emotionally by making us tired so that we're overworked. And then when we get home, all we want to do is veg out. Dad, save some for home. Save some for home. Satan will try to distract us and make us too busy, too afraid. I told you this, I, I didn't know how to be a good dad. And you know what I had to do, Dad? Dad, I had to ask my wife to help me. You know what? She did. She did. She was glad to turn the reins over. It was like I could see the relief on her face. She's like, finally, here you go. I said, help me. I don't even... I don't even know what to do. And she was, and still is, my wonderful, wonderful helpmate. Dad, we've got to fight. It's time to wield the sword. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got to fight for our sons, fight for our daughters, fight for our wives, fight for our homes. And no, it won't be easy. But we have, see it one last time, we've got to bring them to the cross.
And it's there we look to our Heavenly Father, our good, good Father. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.